Welcome to the Flathead Baptist Church podcast for March 13th, 2011. This is part 5 of our series called Homewreckers. Most parents want to do the best they can for their kids, and there are a lot of different ideas about what good parenting looks like. But the one who created the family knows best. What instructions does God have for parents? Here's part 5 with Pastor Scott Roberson entitled Exasperating Parents. Well, we're in this series called Home Wreckers, and we are looking at God's instructions for the family and really asking Him and pleading with Him to help us, to trust Him, to follow Him, so that our homes don't get wrecked. And I don't know if you asked a bunch of different people what they thought the main thing a family needs in order to be healthy and happy and strong, uh, but I know what, what God would say, because he said it very clearly, the main thing we need in order for our homes to be happy, healthy, and strong is for the Lord Jesus Christ to be in charge of our homes. Uh, we need to follow his directions, and we need to ask him for his help. Every home wrecker we have looked at so far, every single one of them, uh, whether we're talking about unloving husbands, that was home wrecker number one, or, or disrespectful wives, that was home wrecker number two, or disobedient children, number three, all of these home wreckers, they all have one thing in common, and that is that they're not trusting Jesus Christ enough to do it his way. You know, the biggest threat facing our homes is not our culture. It's us. It's us. It's our stubborn inclination to trust ourselves more than we trust Jesus. And uh, I feel it. I think you probably feel it too. You know, you're reading along in God's Word and then it says things and you think, I don't like that so much. I think maybe I know a better way. And when we do that, we're being so foolish. Because Jesus is so wise. And he loves us all so much. And he gives us these instructions for the family for our own good. So the very best thing you can do for yourself and for your family is to put yourself in his hands. And treat your members of your family the way he says to. So today we come to home record number four, which we're calling exasperating parents. Exasperating parents. Doesn't this sound like fun? Uh, Well, last time we saw in Ephesians chapter 6, we're in the New Testament book of Ephesians. Last time we saw in chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, that Uh, children who are still living at home, still under their parents' authority, need to obey their moms and their dads in the Lord. Now this time we're coming to verse 4, the very next verse, and here we have the Lord's instructions to parents, especially to fathers. So let's take a look. There's a note sheet in your folder. You can pull that out, take some notes. The words will be on the screen as well. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
the Lord Jesus. That's short. But there's a lot there. And, and this is not everything God has to say to parents, okay? We're, we're going to look at some other verses later. But it's really interesting to me. I think it's so interesting that this is what gets emphasized in this, in this list of teaching to families. Out of all the do's and don'ts that might have been said, this is what gets said. This is the word for parents who want to honor Jesus Christ with their parenting. And it says, dads, don't exasperate your children, but do bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. All right, what is this telling us? What is this saying about the kind of parents that God wants us to be? Well, I want to start by asking why this word is addressed specifically to the fathers when the children in the previous verses were told to obey both mom and dad, obey their parents. And the Bible is abundantly clear that parenting is a team effort. Uh, for example, Proverbs 1.8, this is just one of several we could look at, but it says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching." So both mom and dad have responsibility in bringing up children, the training and instruction of the Lord. There's nothing that says it's just the dad's job or just the mom's job. So why, why is this verse direct, addressed, directed at dad? Well, here are three reasons that came to mind. I can't prove that these were in the Apostle Paul's mind under the inspiration of the Spirit, but I think they're good. Why this is addressed to dads? First reason, dads have a leading influence in the home. And we saw this back in chapter 5, verse 23, where it says that the husband is the head of the wife, and we talked about what that means. We talked about biblical headship. If you missed that message, by all means, uh, get a copy of it or check it out uh, on the website. Biblical headship means that the husband has the primary responsibility, not the sole responsibility, but the primary responsibility to lead, protect, and provide for his wife and family through loving, servant leadership, Christ-like leadership. And the thing is, this is not just some random, arbitrary assignment. You know, as if when God made man and woman, that there's nothing deeper, no difference deeper between them than merely anatomy. And God just kind of rolled the cosmic dice and it came up husband, and so he got stuck with this role. Now, there's something much deeper here. God intentionally planned it this way for his reasons. And we may not even know what all they are, but we know that part of his reasons is to reveal something deep and profound about who he is, what he's like. We know, for example, that God created marriage to picture the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church, us. So the husband and wife relationship is to mirror that. There are deep things here. And because of the way God designed the family, fathers have a leading influence on the kids for good or for bad just because they're dads. 
just because they're dads. Now, you might think that because parenting is a partnership that the influence moms and dads would have would be like 50% each. They don't. That's not how it is. And there's lots of research to show this. Focus on the Family reported research not too long ago that shows the different influence that the different members of the family have when, when one of them is the first one in the family to become a believer in Jesus. Turns out when the first Christian in a home is a child, the probability that everyone else in the family will follow and become believers in Jesus is like 3.5%. When the first believer is the mother, the probability goes up to like 17%. But when the first Christian in the home is the father, the probability that everybody else will follow and become believers in Jesus is 93%. Now that's just an example of the kind of influence dad has. And remember, these statistics are examples about what typically happens. They do not determine what happens. So, I want to say that if you're a single mom or you're, you're a, a wife whose husband is not honoring Christ in his fatherhood, don't despair. God can do amazing things through a mom who loves Jesus. In fact, we have the New Testament example of Timothy. Great guy, great man of God, follower of the Lord Jesus, turned out to be a great leader in the church. Timothy's father wasn't a believer. Timothy learned and came to know Jesus through his mother and grandmother. So, don't despair. But we need to understand the significant influence that dads have. And dads, you need to realize that your influence is powerful, and God expects you to use it to raise your children to know him. Use that influence. Second reason I think this word is addressed to dads is because dads model the fatherhood of God. And we either do it well or we do it very poorly, but we still do it. Kids learn, all of us learn what fatherhood means first from our dads. And we either learn that it's a good thing or we learn something else. But God describes himself as a father. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, those who trust him. You notice that God uses fathers as an example of compassion? If you're just asking me, I would have thought we'd use mom as an example of compassion. But God uses dads as an example of compassion. Not of busyness, not of anger, not of domination. Compassion. So dads, you know that feeling you get when one of your kids gets really hurt? I don't just mean, you know, whining, but I mean really hurt. Or some bully is threatening them. You know that feeling you get? How you want to just rush right in and you want to rescue them and you want to protect them and you want to knock that bully's head off? You know that feeling? That's how God feels toward his children. God feels and acts like a good dad toward his kids. Now, there is more to God than his fatherhood. 
And mothers also model significant qualities of God. But dads teach their kids what it means that God relates to us as a father. And it's big, it's important, it's a huge responsibility that dads, we've got to grasp. And third, I think the reason that dads are the ones addressed here not to exasperate their children is because dads can be more exasperating. When it comes to the kinds of sins that dads are prone to, when it comes to fatherhood, when it comes to parenting, dads, let's face it, okay, let's just, let's just face it. When that first kid comes into the world and you see him or her, it just suddenly dawns on you, you don't have a clue how to do this job. You don't. I mean, to a dad, it seems like mom is so much better equipped to raise the kids. You know, after all, she has been already nurturing and bonding with this child for nine months. Dad hasn't. And mom's got the apparatus to feed the child. Dad doesn't. And many, many moms have experienced babysitting. You know, growing up as a girl, as a teen, whatever. Most dads don't. And mom is usually nicer than dad. So dads don't really know what to do other than just to kind of stand there and go, good job, honey. You go, girl. So see, a lot of dads are tempted to just go passive here and just kind of let mom handle it, you know? Let her handle the parenting tasks. Let her raise the kids. They seem to like her better anyway. No, no, that's exasperating, not just to the mom, but to the kids. Kids need and they want dad to be involved in their lives, And then some dads go to the clear other extreme. And then they try to control every little aspect, every little detail of their kids' lives. And including their personalities, you know? As if if our job is to make little carbon copies of ourselves. As As if parenting is nothing more than telling kids what to do. That's it. Just giving a bunch of... Commands. No, that's exasperating, that hyper-controlling stuff. So I think these words are addressed to fathers because I think fathers need to pay extra careful attention here. Parenting is a team effort. Kids need to obey both their moms and dads. And these words have application to both parents. But dads... You have a unique responsibility. You have a unique opportunity to influence your kids for good or for bad. But let's go with good. Out of reverence for Christ. Remember that? That's that's where we started with all this. It's all about reverencing Christ. It's all about families that honor him. So how do we do that? How do we as parents, how do parents, how do fathers particularly, how do we... How do we honor Christ with our parenting? 
I'll give you two points from Ephesians 6.4 here. First, to honor Christ with our parenting, we need to pursue the big priority of parenting. Pursue the big priority. In other words, keep the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing? Well, it is more than simply feeding and clothing and sheltering your child. That's very important. Do that. But that's not the main thing. Nor is the main thing teaching your children how to behave. That is also important. But you know what? If you feed and clothe and shelter your kids and teach them how to behave and that's all you do, you haven't done the main thing. Nor is doing the main thing getting your kids into the very best schools, getting them involved in sports, getting them involved in extracurricular activities. Those things are secondary at best. What is the main thing in raising your children? Last part of the verse. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The main thing in parenting is leading your children to know and to love and to trust and to obey and to worship Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. Now, if that as a parent doesn't make you feel desperate for God to do a transforming work in your life, I don't know what will. How? How do we lead our kids to know the Lord? Well, we've got some very practical guidance back in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. So let's take a look here at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. These were the words God gave to uh, his people Israel through Moses. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. It's really not that complicated. And say it was easy, but it's not complicated. If you want your kids to love the Lord, then you need to love the Lord. Jesus called this the greatest commandment. This is it. This is the big one. This is over everything else. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. In other words, with all that you are, your whole being, your whole life. How do you do that? You get to know him. You spend time with him. You learn to rely on him. It's not a lesson we learn once. Oh, yeah, I learned today to rely on God. I'm good. It doesn't work that way. 
we learn it over and over and over in deeper ways and more profound ways and more exhaustive ways. Learn to rely on him. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. That's why when we began this series, I said, you know, what is the thing that makes a Christian home Christian? It's not the rules they live by. What makes a Christian home Christian is Christ, his presence, him living in the hearts and minds of the members of the family. It's a relationship. You can't introduce your kids to someone you don't know. So make it the number one priority of your life to get to know Jesus. Yeah, he gave us an amazing invitation in Revelation 3.20. Look what he says here. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He was talking to people just like us. He was talking to a church. He was talking to a group of people just like us. And yet they had gotten so busy in doing church that somehow Jesus not being there didn't seem to catch their attention. And then there's a knock on the door. wonder who that is. And it's the Lord Jesus. And he's saying to us, here's the point. Here's the point. Who took the initiative? Jesus did. He came to the door. He's knocking. That means he wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants me to know him. And he died on a cross and he rose from the dead to make it possible to get our sin out of the way so we could know him. Having a relationship with Christ is not about making ourselves good enough. And so don't hear this that way. When I say, you know, the number one thing needs to be, if we're going to be Christian parents, we've got to love the Lord with, with all that we are. Don't hear that and say, oh, man, I've got so much to do to try to figure out how to love God more so that, so that he'll accept me and, and I'll be okay with him. Loving the Lord means responding to his initiative and saying, okay, help me. I don't know why you want to know me, Lord, but I need to know you. It's not about making ourselves good enough. It's about admitting we need him. It's about inviting him into our lives and into our homes. So ask for his help to get to know him. And, by the way, don't try to do it all by yourself because he's given us all these resources. He's given us his word. He's given us the church. You know, the reason we exist as a church is to help one another connect to the Lord. That's why we're here. And so we have to make it a habit. Make it a habit to worship the Lord together. Make it a habit to learn his word together. Make it a habit to build relationships with one another that help us come to know him better. Because you need people. You need people who are going to pray for you. You need people who are going to encourage you. You need people who are going to challenge you. Will you notice how these verses in Deuteronomy 6 describe a life that is God-saturated? He's not just some ceremonial figurehead. He is the whole point of life. 
He is the hub around which all life revolves. And notice this. This is so good. Parents, notice it tells us to impress these commandments on our children. But what does it say before that? Where does God's word have to be before we impress it on our kids? Did you see it? On your hearts. God's word has to be in our hearts, not just our heads, but in our hearts before we can impress it on our kids. And notice how the teaching just flows out of real life. You know, as you're in your home, or you're, you know, taking a trip, you're driving somewhere, you're walking, riding a donkey, I don't know. When When you're going to bed and when you're getting up, see, the whole point of those things is just to say, yeah, in all of life, as life's just going on, as life's just happening, which means you got to spend a lot of time with your kids. That's what it means, because the most powerful teaching you'll ever do is informal. Now, that's not in any way saying don't plan, you know, formal, intentional teaching time. Okay, that's good. That's important. You know, by all means, plan times to teach your kids the word either at the dinner table or before bed or whenever. You know, I wish I had done a better job of that. I don't think I did a very good job of that, of being intentional and working on Bible stories and memory and things like that. But some of the most important opportunities we will ever have will not be planned. They're just going to happen. You're going to have an opportunity to talk to your kid at some time that you were not expecting because these best times of instruction come when they have questions, not when we have answers. And it can be really irritating. (laughs) Or it can be at least disconcerting. Or, you know, and I guarantee it'll happen in the most inconvenient times. You'll be trying to get everybody to bed, you know. It's late, it's time. Get to bed, get to bed, get to bed. Or you're, you're trying to go somewhere. Get everybody in the car. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's move. (laughs) and you know a kid will say dad how can we call it good Friday when it's the day Jesus died why do we call it good that he was killed or dad I got this friend at school who says he doesn't believe in Jesus why do people have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven And what's going to happen to my friend? And that's why we need to be in our Bibles. And that's why we need to be learning. And that's why we need to be praying. And that's why we need to have friends who can help us answer these hard questions. It's just got to be part of our everyday lives. Moms and dads, by far and away, the most important thing you can do for your kids is to pursue a genuine relationship with Christ. That's the main thing. You can't fake it. You kids do not expect you to be perfect. (laughs) They know better. (laughs) They don't expect you to be perfect, but they want you to be authentic. They want you to be real. Be real about your pursuit of Christ. Let them see it. It's okay to let them see your struggles. When you blow it, admit it and ask for forgiveness. Just make sure your big priority is the right priority and pursue it. Pursue him. Pursue him. That's that's the main thing. 
Pursue the big priority. And then the other thing is avoid the big pitfall. Avoid the big pitfall. It says don't exasperate your children. There's another translation that puts it. Don't provoke them to anger. This doesn't mean your kids won't ever get mad if you do it right. This doesn't mean you never say no. You better say no to some stuff, maybe a lot of stuff. Kids need parents who say no. But what's this saying? It means don't let your no's be unreasonable. Don't let them be arbitrary. Don't come up with a bunch of rules that have nothing to do with God's good purpose for their lives. Our yeses and our noes should be always connected to what is it God wants to accomplish in this kid's life. Not just, hey, what's convenient for me? Don't give them expectations without example. And don't give them rules without relationship. I don't know who said it first. I heard Josh McDowell say it. It's a formula. Rules minus relationships equals rebellion. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Rules have to be in the context of a loving, meaningful, God-honoring relationship. I just I want to point out three examples of parenting that we really ought to avoid. And these are things I've just kind of seen over the years. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I've been guilty of myself at times. Uh, but these are three, three parenting examples we really ought to avoid because they're exasperating, very exasperating. The first is the hypocrite. And I've already alluded to this, but this is the parent who says, do as I say, not as I do. Don't do it like I do it. Do it like I tell you to do it. I've known parents who've been very frustrated that their kids are not involved in youth group. You know, the kids have now become teenagers, and they're seeing all the, you know, the peril and the bad cultural influence, and they, they want those kids to get into youth ministry, youth group, and be connected and, and, and have connection to the youth leaders and all because they want that good influence. So they're frustrated their kids are not involved in youth group, but they themselves are not involved in any adult groups. They themselves are not pursuing and building relationships to help them. It doesn't work that way. If you want your kids to get involved, you've got to show them. You've got to show them that it really is as important as you say it is. Second frustrating Exasperating example is the buddy. The buddy. This is the parent who wants to be liked more than be responsible. It's a bad idea. Your kids need you. They cannot handle you needing them. Their purpose in life is not to meet your emotional needs. And I'm afraid this happens a lot. I I hear of, of young women getting pregnant and having babies because they want someone to love them. That's a really bad reason to have a baby. Their purpose is not to meet your emotional needs. You need adult friends for that. 
And there's just no way you can be the parent that you need to be if you're afraid of your kids getting upset with you or getting frustrated with you or getting mad with you because they disagree with your decisions. It's your job to lead them. Even if they don't always like it, that's part of loving them. That's part of loving them. Now, of course, you you want your kids to like you. Everybody does. I want my kids to like me. You're going to want your kids to like you. And you know what? If you do your job right, they probably will. Most of the time. Eventually. (laughs) But trying to be their buddy, listen, trying to be their buddy is a selfish thing, not a loving thing. I want you to, I I ran across an article written, uh, it was an interview with Billy Ray Cyrus. Do you know who Billy Ray Cyrus is? He's got a famous daughter, daughter Miley Cyrus. Maybe you've heard of Hannah Montana, that whole thing. In a candidate recent interview in GQ magazine, Billy Ray Cyrus says that his daughter Miley Cyrus' Disney show, Hannah Montana, destroyed his family. In addition to his regrets about doing the show, Cyrus says he, wish, he, he also wonders about his parenting. He told the magazine that he was never capable of disciplining his six children. Cyrus said, how many interviews did I give and say, You know, what's important between me and Miley is that I try to be a friend to my kids. I said it a lot. And sometimes I would even read other parents say, you don't need to be a friend, you need to be a parent. Well, I am the first guy to say to them right now, you were right. I should have been a better parent. I should have said enough is enough. It's getting dangerous and somebody's going to get hurt. I should have, but I didn't. Honestly, I didn't know the ball was out of bounds until it was way up in the stands somewhere. Cyrus and his wife, Tish, filed for divorce in October. Being a buddy to your kids will exasperate them. And then the third exasperating example is the helicopter. The parent who hovers over the child. Not allowing the child to take any risks. Not allowing the child to ever fail. And therefore not allowing the child to learn any responsibility through failure, being overprotective, over-controlling. Now, this is something that obviously changes or should change as life goes on. You've got to be a lot more protective and controlling with your little guys, but as they grow, it's got to change. And this is tough because it's hard. It is hard to find the balance between legitimately protecting your children and hovering. But remember, okay, I want to remind you what it says here. It says we're bringing up our kids in the instruction and the training of the Lord. In other words, we're training them to know and love Jesus, and Jesus wants us to take big risks for his glory. So give them a big vision of Christ. Give them a big vision of what God wants to do in their lives. Keep in mind that we are equipping them to one day leave home and make a difference in the world for Jesus Christ. That does not happen overnight. You can't lock them in a box for 18 years and let them go and say, go get them, kid. You have to give them more and more and more responsibility as they grow, as they show they can handle it. Your goal is not a child who's permanently dependent on you. Your goal is a mature adult who is dependent on Jesus Christ, who's willing to go anywhere and do anything for him. And parents, if you're you're a parent, that is the most important job we will ever have.
And we just need to keep remembering. And we need to remind each other of what our job really is. Let's pray together. If you're a mom or dad here today and, and uh, maybe you're feeling from these words failure, it's so easy to notice the things we've been doing wrong. But I want to encourage you, please don't beat yourself up over it. Please receive God's grace, his mercy, and today ask him for his help so that you can get on track if you've been off track. And dads, if you've been negligent, if you've been passive, just kind of letting it happen, or if you've been all controlling and manipulative, then ask the Lord to help you become the dad he wants you to be. Mom, ask him to help help him, help him, you be the mom he wants you to be. And I just want to encourage every parent, get connected with some other friends who can help you through it and pray. God, we come to you and we ask for your help for every parent in our church family. Lord, it is such a massively important task. And Lord, there's so often when we do not feel up to the task. But your grace is sufficient. You have said so. Your word really is not that complicated. You want us to pursue you. Kids need us to pursue you more than anything, and then they need moms and dads to love each other and model that. And we just need to help our kids come to know you. Show us how to do it, Lord. We need your grace. We need your help. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Florida Baptist Church podcast. To stay connected or for more resources, visit our brand new website at Philida.org dot o r g